partly I wanted to thank Debbie, but she, they had to run because she's leading worship in, uh, in their church uh, in about 45 minutes or an hour or so. So uh, wasn't that good? I mean, we could still thank, thank her and, and thank, the, thank the God who gives gifts and, and draws us into worship. And we're grateful this morning to have Bernard with us, who you've already heard is our district minister. And so I just want to pray for Bernard uh, for the Lord to speak through him. So, Lord, we thank you so much for the gifts that you have poured out on the church through the Holy Spirit. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for the, the gifts that Debbie has shared with us this morning. And we thank you now, Lord, for the gifts that you will give us through Bernard and through uh, the gift you've given him to share the good news of Jesus. And I pray that you would anoint him with your Holy Spirit, that you would soften our hearts, Lord, and give us receptive ears. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that just as we have worshipped you and glorified you uh, through music, that we would now do it by, by hearing and obeying your word. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Craig. It's good to be with everyone here. and It's good that you are in your new home. I know last time that I visited you, you were at uh, university uh, there. And it's, it's good that uh, uh, we can gather together here. Finally, the vision has been realized. And thank you also for the partnership that we have together in uh, British Columbia Baptist Conference. If you would like to see what's happening, you can go to bcbc.ca and you can sign up for the newsletter there. Uh, one of the things that we're doing is to create uh, or establish residences for church planting and church revitalization. So uh, Debbie and the husband, uh, John, are going to be part of that program. The husband is studying in...
salvation from sin to forgiveness, from death to eternal life. One of these examples is recorded in Acts 16 that we just read, where the apostles worshipped and prayed to God openly in spite of the unjust beatings they had just received and the imprisonment that followed. So the story here actually is complete. When you, you read our chapter, uh, Paul and Silas had gone uh, to Philippi where you know, they had gone to, to preach the message of Christ. And, and they found some women that were gathering there and they started uh, having prayer meetings or joining in the prayer meetings and they started to regularly go to worship God. So they would go to pray. But in that place was uh, a couple that had a, a slave girl. They called her a slave girl. This is the girl that they owned. And this girl was special, and that's why they wanted to keep her, because she used to tell the future. So she was a fortune teller. She would predict the future to people, but not for free. People had to pay for it. So this was like an income-generating uh, venture for this couple. And this, this young lady was kind of, uh, I don't know, she was kind of demonized, if you like. And, and she would do all these things, and they made money out of her. Now, this is what lands Paul and Silas in prison. Because this girl used to follow them where they went. As they went to pray, she would follow them and she would say, these are men of God, listen to the message they are telling you. There's nothing wrong in what she said. I think you and I would agree. Really, nothing wrong. They were men of God and were speaking the word of God. Listen. She was going to take over and confuse the church. And so, as, as Paul heard this girl uh, speak about them in that way, he was troubled in his spirit until he couldn't take it anymore. He turned around and looked at the girl and he said, you spirit, come out of her. And that meant that the, the girl was freed. The spirit that was within her left her, and she was completely powerless. She could not tell the future anymore. And what that means is that there is no business for the people that own this girl. So they tell stories that are not true about Paul and Silas, which land them in prison. And they don't just get placed in prison, but they are actually beaten that they are bleeding. That was the world then. They, they, they're beaten. And they're not just beaten. They're not just imprisoned. They are chained. And they are placed in, you know, before a jailer who was to look after them. So they have been unjustly treated for helping this young lady. So this is the story that, that you have as a background here. And uh, I know that some of these stories make good Sunday school stories, and today I'm going to surprise you because I want to kind of uh, get you from that Sunday school story where you think this is an imagination. So let's begin with the first point. Prayer and worship create a platform for God to work. I've told you that Paul and Silas have been placed in prison. But before being pl uh, placed in prison, they have been beaten, 
they're bleeding, they're hurting, and they'll be treated unfairly. At this particular time, Paul is not saying, I am going to sue you. He's not saying that, all right? He's not angry. He knows he's been treated unjustly. And now what, what is strange is that at midnight, as they're in prison, instead of complaining, which they were entitled to, he and Silas begin to sing hymns to God, praising God. The other prisoners knew why these people were put in prison, and the jailer knew what had happened in the city. And they began to praise God, and the other prisoners are listening, and the jailer is listening. At the end of it, you find that the jailer has fallen asleep. He must have been enjoying so much that, you know, it was so peaceful, he just went to sleep, all right? And I know that because he woke up at some point, so he had gone to sleep. He had enjoyed that, that peacefulness in the place. And as they were doing this, something had really happened. So this is the response to the unjust treatment. And as they praise God, let me say something about the power of prayer and worship. The Bible says as they prayed and praised God, suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. Think about this. From prayer and worship, Suddenly you have an earthquake. I mean, you and I pray against earthquakes. So, so yeah, they are praying and their prayers bring an earthquake in that it was probably localized. Now, when you and I hear those stories, we think like, well, I believe God, God is powerful. Yeah, I believe it's in the Bible. Yeah. So we believe it theologically. But can it happen? Uh, right? We don't, we, we don't know. So, so this, is, this is something here, the power of prayer and worship. Listen, when you pray, when you worship, you create an atmosphere, you create a platform, you create a, you know, that place where God descends and works amongst his people. You read right from Genesis to Revelation, you read about prayer and worship. You will see what happens every time God's people prayed and worshiped. And this is really what happened. And when you think about this, I, I need to, to tell you something. I need to really confess something. I'm generally a skeptical person when it comes to some things. So I question a number of things. Now when you read this story, this is what somebody would say, this is an experience that is seeking theology. You have had an experience, it's an actualized presence of God. Now every supernatural experience needs to be understood within the context of biblical theology or the theology that you already know. What does the Bible teach about the nature of God? Who is God? And what does it teach about divine intervention? So when I say experience-seeking theology, 
I simply mean that there are some people who get to have encounters with God and they just say, what just happened? I've got to figure out what's going on. This is what I'm talking about. We have had people have incredible encounters with God. I have had several of those. About five years ago, I was in a terrible accident and, and, and my brother died in that accident. My daughter was, was hanging between life and death. And I was also passing out, almost going, and I don't know whether they caught caught red, whatever they did. I got a jab in my belly to stop internal bleeding. But it was was such an experience uh, when we had this terrible accident. So when I'm sharing this, it's not just because I've read it. But, you know, so my brother died and my daughter, uh, she left her body. And, and later came back into it. She tells the story. And uh, uh, I had my own experience. But later on, days later, it was like a curtain, a veil removed. And I was able to look into heaven. That is an experience when you sit there, you say, what? You remember the man that was born blind? You know, he says, one thing I know, once I was blind, but now I see. You see, so here Paul and Silas have an experience that they need to explain what just happened. There's an earthquake, the doors open, they change. I mean, you understand that an earthquake would get the doors open, but can an earthquake come and unlock your chains? You know, the, the chains, is like, okay, I understand the doors are open because of the earthquake. But how did these chains come off? The earthquake had the key? So this is what you need to understand here. So this is uh, experience-seeking theology. But then you also have uh, theology-seeking experience. Theology-seeking experience is when you have theology, you have the right belief. You believe everything right. But you are saying, wow, this really sounds good. I've heard about all these stories. But for you, it's just far removed from you. It is just here. You don't, you know, sometimes you don't even know whether God is real. Now, you might sit here and say, well, I don't think so. I know God is real. I don't know about you, but I can tell you my story since I've I've started opening up to you anyway. I remember one time in Holland, I, I I was attacked with doubt. And, uh, you know, this is after some theological discussions that we had had at a seminary, a university. And uh, it's like, I don't know if God even exists. So, I had this belief in God, but my mind was being bombarded with a lot of questions. Ever ask questions like, if there's a God, why hasn't he done this? If there is a God, why did this happen? Just when the pandemic started, the COVID-19 pandemic, 
we were having Good Friday service to some of you. Some of you do attend. Somebody wrote to us on Facebook and said, when you gather as British Columbia Baptist Conference, can you explain to the world why your God infected the world with the coronavirus? So, now I had to be very gracious to respond to that Facebook post. It took me a week because I, need, I needed to think through, because I had all the answers what to say, but I wanted to say it uh, graciously. So, well, maybe one day you can ask me about the answer, but that man was very respectful afterwards. You see, listen to Psalm chapter 22. You see, in Psalm 22, the psalmist theology was right, but he wondered why he had not experienced the actualized presence of God. Theology and belief must be rooted in God, in in who uh, God says he is according to his revelation. We are not to be guided, of course, by feeling, but by our unwavering faith in the God who has revealed himself through his son, Jesus Christ. The psalmist never gave up praying and crying to God when God seemed distant and unresponsive. Now, in in Psalm uh, 22, we can look now on the next slide, verse 1. I want you to see that. It says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? Just look at verse 1. This is a person who is prayed to God and is wondering why God is not responding. This is a person who is going through anguish, is going through troubles. And verse 2 says, My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. So when you read this whole chapter, you understand what this man is saying. This is, this is a man who has theology, but he has no experience in saying, where is this God? I can't even feel him at this moment. When we say that, in verse 3, he says, Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In other words, we have heard of all the things you have done in the past. Our fathers have told us of the miracles you performed, the experiences that they had with you. Why can't you answer? I have never, never really known you in this way, but I've heard about you. So, can you see the difference? Paul and Silas, they were not seeking for it. They were just being Christians, praying at night in prison and singing. They were not saying, God, where are you? Come and save us. I do not. They were not saying, cut these chains free, Lord. Cut this. No, they were not saying that. Bring an earthquake. They were not saying that. They were just minding their own business being Christians. And they started to sing God to God. You know what? They were celebrating that they were able to suffer for the sake of Christ. That's all. And then, boom, something happens. They were not looking for it. But then, this, this guy, the psalmist, is looking for deliverance. He's looking for it. And it's not happening. Now, when you read those chapters 22 of Psalm at home, it takes some time to read the whole chapter to get the context. At the end, he simply said, I will not stop. I will hang on. 
I know it feels like you're distant, you're not hearing me, but I'm not letting go. And in the end, he declares his unwavering faith in God. We can see that Paul and Silas preached Christ through their worship and prayer. The prisoners are listening. The psalmist, through his hardship, even though it was like there was no God, he still praised God. That was a commitment that was there. Secondly, miracles glorify Christ, but they defy logic. You see, when Paul and Silas are in prison, and they're singing, the, you know, there's this earthquake. You know, the chains are loose, as I said, and everything that happened. Then the jailer caught for lights and rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He fell trembling before them. Why? You know, after seeing what he saw, he saw the prisoners are in there. He could have said, okay, everybody, lock up again, chain, put the chains back. Uh, I'm in charge. He didn't say that. He realizes. First of all, he wanted to kill himself because according to the law then, if prisoners escape in, at, when you're on duty, you'll be executed. So he wanted to just help them. He was going to execute himself. He, he didn't want somebody else to inflict pain on him. And then secondly, you know, when Paul told him, we are all here, don't kill yourself, he had heard what had happened to the girl who was delivered from demons. He had heard Paul and Silas singing and praising God. He knew whatever had happened had to do with these guys. So he goes and falls before them. What must I do to be saved? What must I do? You see, as he said, this. He has seen what has happened. He hasn't said, well, let me go and analyze this thing scientifically. Because it does defy logic. That's why it's, it's, it's supernatural. It supersedes the natural. That's why it's a miracle. It's very difficult to explain it. And he goes and falls before them and asks for help. The gospel of Christ is preached in power because it is empowered by the Holy Spirit. God opens the hearts of unbelievers and causes them to hear the message. T tell you what, I remember a number of years ago, I was in Budapest, Hungary, you know, as, as I was there just after the fall of um, the Soviet Union. And, you know, Christians used to gather every couple of weeks. And uh, they said, okay, Bernard, you're going to be preaching to us Saturday. So I said, okay, how long do I have? They said, well, you have from 9 in the morning until 5 in the afternoon. I said, no breaks? No, they said, no breaks. We're just here to hear you. It's like, what? <laughs> they were so hungry for God. And so I said, okay, I'm, I'm going to put at least 10 minute break. They said, okay, we can live with that. So, so I was teaching and I was, I was simply telling the story of Christ. At the end of it, before I was flying back to Holland, 
after the weekend conference, a lady that was in her 60s said this. And I'm telling you this so that you know that stuff like this does happen. This woman who was in her 60s said, 20 years ago, and these are exact words, 20 years ago, I had a dream. And in this dream, I was standing at the international airport in Budapest, and the plane landed. And out of the plane came this black man from Africa. And he walked, he was carrying a gift, and he handed me the gift. I took the gift, and he went back on the plane and flew back. And she said, yesterday, when you were preaching to us, on Saturday, yesterday, I received my gift. I'm thinking, what had happened? Now, some of it is pretty confidential what had happened, but it had to do with the abuse that she had suffered as a child. And that Saturday, something had happened in the meeting that everybody said, wow, what has gone on? As this woman was touched by God's power. I had no idea. I was like, I don't know what's going on. But that woman, God told her, she probably was around 40, when God must have said, don't worry, there's a gift coming. And it took 20 years for that gift to come. Listen, you in here, all you need to do is be a Christian. Just read the Bible, just pray and worship, lead a regular life that impacts your community. And you create an opportunity for God to work through you. Didn't Acts, uh, Jesus say in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, that's here where you are, and in all Judea, the surrounding areas, and Samaria, further, and to the uttermost, uh, to the ends of the earth. So, so when I was in Budapest, I, I remember I was so cold at that time, it was in the winter time, and I was saying, this is the the ends of the earth from, from southern Africa. It's like, whoa! The third point, the central Christian message. When the man said, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus. They didn't say, believe in us. They said, believe in the Lord Jesus. And you will be saved, you and your house. So that is the message that they preached wherever they went. It is the ABCD of the Christian message. It is the story of Jesus. We don't tell other cleverly invented stories. We simply tell the story of Jesus. Very simple. That's all you need to do. Just tell the story of Jesus. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus? Tell his story. Don't, st- don't start making your own theories about it. Just tell it the way it is in the Bible. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. And meanwhile, they are bleeding as they are doing this. They are not saying, oh, first clean us, give us some food, then we'll talk to you. No. 
It is so urgent that this jailer wants this information because he's shaking, he's trembling. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed the wounds and immediately and his household were baptized. I, I mentioned to you that they didn't say wait until you attend baptism or classes at our prayer group. You see, you know, salvation is so connected that you see, you believe and you are initiated in this new life. That is really what is going on. The fourth point, the gospel brings joy in every situation. When you and I are in a community of uh, people that don't believe, we will be the source of joy in those communities when we are doing what Christ has called us to do. We need to be community-focused. The community around us is suffering. And we are the light of Christ. We are the salt of the earth. Listen. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy. He was filled with joy. What was it? Now, I don't know if you're following this story. Have you realized that up to this point, the jailer is still in trouble? Listen. He has let prisoners out. And he has taken them to his house. He is giving them a meal. What is he going to say to his superiors the next day? At this time, he doesn't care. It's like, I have found life. He is putting his life on the line, and he's, he's, he's joyful. There's another place where I find a similar story of being joyful. The joy just comes. The reason for the joy was because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Compare with Acts chapter uh, 8, uh, verse 4 to, to 8. It says, Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed, i like you to help me here. He proclaimed who? The Messiah. Who is the Messiah? Jesus. That's all you do. Just tell Jesus, don't proclaim yourself. He goes there and he proclaims the Messiah. When you proclaim Jesus, when you talk about Jesus, it is him who changes people's hearts. Don't think you change people's lives by your words or you, whatever you do. No, it is the Spirit of God that works in people's lives. And, and you know, when the crowds heard, they heard him. They heard Philip and saw Remember, that means some things were happening. The signs uh, he performed, they paid close attention. It's like, what's going on? So they paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many. Just like that young woman, right? They came out of many. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. Verse 8. So there was what? Help me. There was what? Great joy in that city. Can you imagine just any one of you, members of the bridge, you just go on a mission trip somewhere, you just tell the story about Jesus. Don't try to manufacture anything. Don't try to say, all oh, the sick people come here and I'm going to heal you, heal. No, no, no. He didn't say that. Philip didn't say, all oh, the sick people come to me, I'll heal you. He did not do that. What did he say? Jesus. That's what he did. 
So I know that there's so much abuse in the Christian church that sometimes us, including myself, we throw the baby with the bathwater because it's like we don't want to be associated with some of these crazy people. But then don't we keep the baby (laughs) and throw the, the dirty water? Because the Word of God is true. And if we stop being Christians who are sharing the message of Christ, then we're going to allow other people to just be messing everything up for us. Well, in conclusion, the early church preached Christ wherever they went. Jesus was exalted in and through their lives. Remember, people saw Jesus in their lives. Jesus had promised to be with the church until the end of the age. He surely has been and he continues to be with the church in our generation and the bridge is, the, is part of the church. The church needs to continue being Christ-centered and spirit-empowered as we proclaim Christ to the people. Otherwise, we become a social club. We are the people of God. We have been called to represent Christ. Let us pray. Dear God, thank you for my brothers and sisters at the bridge. Thank you for how they have faithfully been walking with you, serving with you for some, for many, many years, laboring together in in the vineyard. I pray that you may continue to strengthen and encourage them in the name of Jesus. Thank you for the elders. Thank you for the members of the board, the the staff. Thank you for the lead pastor. Thank you for all the people here and their families. May you cause them to uh, joyfully praise you and worship you in truth and in spirit. May they continue being your light and salt in the community. In Jesus' name, amen.